Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, it's Wednesday afternoon and it's uh, just past two o'clock, in fact, ten past two to be exact and great to be in your company. Rabbi Michael Katz here with you with our presentation of Judaism 101.9 and a great show lined up for you today. First of all, we're going to be looking at what happened on this date in history and there are some really, really fascinating things um, which we're going to get our heads around and think about their relevance perhaps to this time of the year. We'll have a little bit more about the month of Elul included in that as we build our way closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah. Remember today already is the 10th day of Elul. Yes, the 10th day of Elul. We have done 10 days of this month already and we are now really within touching distance of Rosh Hashanah, within reach of Yom Kippur and the Yom Leraim, and it is uh, getting a little daunting. We've got to think about all the things that we're going to be involved with and the things that we're going to do, and of course, <clears throat> we can't let this time just uh, pass us by. We need to put in a concerted effort to make sure that every moment of every day is meaningful, that it's well-structured and constructed, in a way of reaching closer and closer to where we should be as we are approaching Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then as we have been doing over the past while, we're going to learn something from Pirkei Avot, from Ethics of Our Fathers, a Mishnah from the first chapter, which is studied again on this coming Shabbat, chapter one of Pirkei Avot. We're going to look at a very special Mishnah from there, which also has a tremendous relevance to this time of so stay with me and we're going to take you through beginning with things that have happened on this day. Well, let's go back 230 years and 230 years ago today on the 10th of Elul. Repinchas Shapiro of Koritz, otherwise known as Repinchas of Koritz, who lived from 1726 to 1791 and it was in 1791 that he passed away on this day. So this is the yard site of Reb. Pinchas of Koritz was one of the great disciples of the famed Baal Shem Tov, a colleague of Rabbi Dov Ber, the Maggid of Mezrich, the next generation in handing down the heritage of uh, Hasidism from the Baal Shem Tov. Pinchas of Koritz played a tremendous role. His teachings were all published posthumously in various books such as Likutei Shoshanim, Midrash Pinchas, Repinchas' son, Reb Moshe, and his grandsons, Reb Shmuel Abba and Reb Pinchas himself, managed the famed printing press in Slavuta, um, which uh, published so much of Torah literature in that day and in that age. So this is the yard site of Reb Pinchas of Koritz on the 10th of Elul. But perhaps if we go further back in history, we have something um, that is really, really fascinating and applies to each and every one of us um, if we think about it a little deeper and especially pertaining to this time. And that is, on this day, on the 10th of Elul, our sages point out, was a day which in 3,676 years, something happened. 3,676 years ago on this day the 10th of Elul. And you know what that was? Well, that was the era, the period of time that Noah, Noah was inside the Teva. He was in the ark with all the animals. And what happened on the 10th of Elul 
was he actually opened the hatch. He opened up the window and he sent out a raven. The first reconnaissance flight that ever took place in history happened on this day. The raven flew out and of course we know it came back um, and Noah, Noah uh, allowed it to come back into the ark, into, into the Teva. And of course then that was followed up later on by doves that were sent out. But this one was the raven, the first recce, the first reconnaissance flight that Noah had made was on this day. He opened up the window and he sent out a raven. And all happened, as we know, on this day, 3,676 years ago, to be exact. What a fascinating thing. What a fascinating event. And how and why is this of relevance to us today? What relevance has this to us? Of course, we know that everything in Torah, every single detail is significant. The fact that this happened on the 10th of Elul, even though this was before the giving of the Torah, the receiving of the Torah, this was before uh, many of our Chagim uh, came into um, uh, being um, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur was something that probably at that stage was not physically yet on the horizon at all because this is way, way back in the annals of our history. But the fact is that this was a trailblazing moment, if we think about it, for Noah, Noah was inside the Teva. What was going on in the world around him? At the time, the world was consumed. It was completely overrun by a flood, by a huge, huge flood. And yes, that flood happened to be a flood of water. But that water being so destructive could be comparable to any of the scourges, any of the terrible things, any of the pandemics that have gone on and that have gone around. And there, of course, it was absolutely devastating. It claimed the entire world. And that whole world that was consumed and destroyed by the flood, there was only one item, one thing, one little place, a space that remained, a place of sanity, a place of utopia, a special, special place. We call it the Teva, the Ark. And on that Ark, Noah, Noah and his family, and all the animals that we know of that he was able to house in that Ark were um, allowed to live and to survive and ensure that there wouldn't be extinction of any of those species for um, eternity. That this was something that Noah was able to do, that Noah was able to do with that ark. And the flood had now happened. And Noah, Noah opens the hatch. He opens up the window and he sends out a raven to do this reconnaissance. Have you ever heard the expression? I'm sure you have the expression of testing the waters. I'm sure that this is where this expression actually comes from, that it goes all the way back to the time of Noah. Noah was testing the waters. Had they subsided enough? Was there any landing ground? Were there trees that had uh, uh, poked their branches up and above the water for this raven to find anything? And, of course, it was too soon. It wasn't done yet. And um, it was a very, very interesting occurrence that happened, therefore, on the 10th of Elul all those years ago on this particular day. And there are some definite parallels. We'll uh, explore a little bit more about those parallels um, when I am back with you right after uh, the short break that we're going to... 
Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So on the 10th of Elul, um, 3,676 years ago, Noah opens up the window and sends out the raven. And we were exploring the idea and ideal behind this all and perhaps a thought of what it's got to do with us at this time and what it's got to do with the month of Elul. Well, if we think about it, as we said, the whole world was literally in liquidation. The whole world was uh, underwater. The whole world had actually, as he knew it, had been destroyed. And Noah and his Teva, Noah and his Ark, and all the animals and the people that he had on board are saved, and they're living in this utopian existence. They are almost in a kind of a messianic existence. They're in a an, a place of absolute miraculousness. It was miraculous that the lion and the lamb dwelt together. Even there, it was miraculous that everything functioned in the way that it did and that there was this um, hiatus, there was this um, uh, time and period and space in which things were absolutely euphoric. They were utopian. They were beautiful. And now Noah, Noah knows that what Hashem wants really is for him to get out of the ark. He was told to go into the ark just to protect and to save those items and creatures and people who needed to be saved. But now it's time to leave. And the waters are starting to subside. And Noah literally wants to test the waters. And so he sends out the raven on the 10th of Elul on this day, um, all those years ago. And as the raven goes out, Noah is actually doing something that is symbolic and significant and important for us in our lives today as well. First of all, if we think about in the build-up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, well, if we think about what our role needs to be, we cannot be completely isolated. You know, unfortunately, the last year and a half or two years almost has made us so completely isolationist and isolated and cut off from everything and this is not the way that Judaism has functioned for thousands of years. And it's not the way that it needs to function, that it can function, that we could function. There is something very negative, sinister, and bad about it all. Yes, of course, our project is to save lives. And yes, of course, we need to make sure that we do everything to protect ourselves. We vaccinate, we wear our masks, we keep our social distance, we do all of that stuff. But we've got to remember that this is not the way that it's meant to be. And Noah, Noah knew that in this time of isolation, this was not the way that it was always meant to be. There had to be an integration back into the world. There had to be a time when we would be able to... Uh, test the waters and see if the flood had subsided and have the ability to actually realize and recognize that getting back to earth, getting back to doing the things that we have to do is actually our job. It is something that we all have to be involved with. And so Noah tests the waters. He sends out the raven in order to check out whether there is any landing ground, whether there is any place to actually get back involved and do the things that he knew that he had to do and unfortunately, on this particular day, the raven comes back and things are exactly the same. It's too early. Can't happen yet. And it's only on the third reconnaissance that the dove does not come back. It's on the second one that it comes back with the olive branch and a sign of peace um, that is going to prev uh, prevail and 
it is on the third one that it doesn't come back, and Noach knows then that the ark is about to rest on solid ground, and he knows then that uh, the floods have dried up and that it's safe to return to the world. This is something um, prophetic. This is something incredible. It's something very, very beautiful for each and every one of us to think about, that at a time like now, for us, for ourselves, in this time of pandemic, in this time of corona, in this time of COVID, we need to ensure that we're safe and we need to make sure that we have taken care of all the things that we need to take care of from a physical point of view. But we need to keep on probing and thinking about how and when are we going to get back to doing all the things that we need to do, our social interactions, our spiritual interactions, our davening back in shul, if you haven't yet, and our involvement in our shiurim and our learning in our uh, person-to-person involvement with each other, our simchas that need to take place in the proper fashion, not as they are, unfortunately, in many, many realms on Zoom and with the, in front of a screen and so on. It's helpful. It's wonderful that we have the technology, but it's not the way that it's meant to be. And we need to try uh, ourselves not only to have these reconnaissances and to test the waters, but we need to try and get back to some uh, mind thinking of getting back to where we should be and what we should be doing. It's very important to realize that this is not the way that it is meant to be. No, we are not meant as people to daven at home. We are not meant to have a complete isolationist policy when it comes to our religious life. This is something temporary and it's something we need to be moaning and groaning and crying about in a way that uh, we want this pandemic to end and we want the time, uh, we want the, uh, the all of these difficulties to be lifted and we want to be able to get back to where we should be. But here we come to a bigger pattern perhaps and that is the Jewish people for all too, too, too long have awaited the coming of Mashiach. And the coming of Mashiach, we know from a godly point of view, uh, from our Torah point of view, is going to be something that will happen exactly when God decides that it should happen. So what are we doing and why is there the necessity to actually keep on asking for Mashiach, to keep on probing? Well, we see this example exactly here with Noah. Noah, Noah knew that uh, God was going to decide when it was going to be time to say to him, Okay, Noah, you and your people get out of the ark. He knew that. But he also knew that it was something that we have to do to keep on probing, to keep on asking, to keep on inquiring, to see, is the world ready for Mashiach? So we see all sorts of difficulties and problems. And it seems to be that they, uh, the, the difficulties pile up. It gets uh, worse by the day. It doesn't seem to be getting that much better there are problems in Europe and there are problems in Afghanistan and there are problems all over the world, all sorts of difficulties that are uh, that people are confronting and then the rise of anti-Semitism and so much that's going on, trouble in Israel and trouble with this and trouble with that, all sorts of issues and we keep on thinking, hey, one second, we seem to be getting further and further and further away from uh, the utopian kind of existence that we know and we hope and we pray for when Mashiach comes, but Perish the thought, because Hashem has promised us that Mashiach is ready to come, and it will, and it could happen at any moment. We've got to keep on probing. We've got to keep on um, allowing the uh, our view to be one that is not 
inward looking, but rather outward looking. We've got to have the vision to say, you know what, Mashiach is ready, is, is, is going to come. Yes, we know he's going to come, but he's also going to come when we desire and when we ask for it most and when we beg and we implore and we plead and we prod and we open windows and we send out reconnaissance. Uh, birds to fly around and to see whether there is any chance of Mashiach coming to breathe in the air and say, can we smell the flavor of Mashiach? Is it here? Has the time arrived? Are we close to the coming of Mashiach? This is something that we need to keep on doing with the idea of Noah, of Noah sending out the raven as he did 3,676 years ago today. Let's think about a further thought with regards to the month of Elul. It is now this month, as we said, we're on the 10th of it, the month in which, if we go back in history to the time that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses had received the Torah in the year 2448, um, so uh, sometime after the story with the flood, in fact, a few hundred years later, we have here the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, going up the mountain, and he began to ascend the mountain the uh, last time, in other words, the time that he was going to bring down the lasting Torah, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, re um, to us once again to last and to stay with us on Yom Kippur. But it means that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses began his ascent of the mountain for this uh, ultimate occasion on Rosh Chodesh Elul, on the beginning of the month of Elul, and it was on that day that the shofar was sounded. The shofar was sounded to remind the people that, hey, one second, don't make the same mistake you made before. In time gone by, we had thought, or you had thought, that Moshe Rabbeinu had disappeared, that he vanished, that he was gone for too long, and that's why we ended up making the golden calf. Don't make the same mistake. Moshe is leaving this morning. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why we sound the shofar dafka in the morning at the shacharit prayer, at the morning prayer, not necessarily in the afternoon. Of course, if you haven't heard it, you can sound it later, but sound it dafka in the morning prayer because that was the time when Moshe Rabbeinu left to go up the mountain. And he stayed up the mountain, of course, for 40 days and 40 nights. And the 40 days included the 30 days of the month of Elul and the 10 days into the month of Tishrei to bring us to the 10th of Tishrei, which is exactly one month away from now, from this moment, on the 10th of Elul, we are looking at the 10th of Tishrei, one month ahead, and that is Yom Kippur. From today, exactly one month, 30 days, is going to be Yom Kippur. Amazing. Now, we have these 40 days. We're 10 days down, so there's 30 days left. Moshe Rabbeinu up on the mountain, and of course, what is Moshe Rabbeinu doing at this time? He, too, is doing some kind of a reconnaissance. He, too, is testing the waters in a way. He is up there pleading with God, asking God to forgive the Jewish people, presenting God with the second set of tablets that um, he himself has hewn and carved out. He's presenting them for God's brachas, for God's blessings to fill them, that they should be able to carry themselves, that they should become the ones that last, because remember the first ones got broken because of that time of the worship of the golden calf. And now these ten commandments and the Torah um, that it all encompasses, incorporates and represents is about to be given as a lasting, lasting sign of absolute acceptance, reconnection and forgiveness. And that, of course, is the forerunner of Yom Kippur in one month from now. But it's at this time that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses is up the mountain. He is pleading with God. He is imploring Hashem. He is 
prodding and probing and begging and asking that the Jewish people should be entirely and completely forgiven. It's at this time that we are forgiven, that we are working on our tshuva, that we're working on our repentance, that we're working on our um, a, a return to exactly where we should be and what we should be and how we should be in our interaction with ourselves in our interaction with God and in our interaction with others. We need to ensure and we need to make sure that we as the Jewish people are ready and prepared and geared up and campaigning and prodding and probing and looking at what we can do to hasten not only the arrival of Mashiach, but to hasten a wonderful, wonderful year that we have up ahead, a year that will be filled with Hashem's rich and beautiful brachot, His beautiful blessings, that everybody should be blessed with a shana tova umetuka, with a happy, a healthy, and a sweet year. And on this 10th day of Elul, as we are getting ever closer to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we are now, as we said, within touching distance, of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we need to focus on those areas and ensure that we are ready, that we are raring to go, and that we are ready and prepared. And so it is on this 10th day of Elul that we send out that recce, that we send out that reconnaissance, that we ask Hashem to please ensure that the floods have subsided and we are pushing that they should subside quickly and that the world's turmoils should end and that we will be able to enjoy not only a wonderful year, but please God, a time of Mashiach when all of, all pandemics and all difficulties will be gone, done and dusted forever. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Oh, we've been talking about uh, Noah, and we've been talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, and we've been talking about Elul. And uh, let's share a word from a Mishnah in Pirkei Ovis, because as we said, in honor of Moshe Rabbeinu, in honor of Moses, we study Pirkei Ovis, ethics of our fathers, every Shabbos afternoon. And most communities do this, of course, from Pesach through Shavuot. Many continue to do it right up until of Rosh Hashanah, so we carry on right through until Rosh Hashanah, Pirkei Ovis, Ethics of Our Fathers, which gives us actual direction in life, teaches us how to be a mensch, how to behave, how to uh, live our lives correctly and properly. Um, and the uh, chapter that we're going to be studying, one of the chapters that's going to be studied now in the coming days, is Pirkei Ovis, Chapter 1, and we're back to the beginning of Pirkei Ovis. But let's share a Mishnah, the 12th Mishnah in Pirkei Ovis, Tells us about Hillel and Shammai. It says Hillel and Shammai kiblu mehem. Now there were very uh, various pairs of sages who headed the Jewish community, and one of the most famous, of course, was Hillel and Shammai. Living at the same time, Hillel, um, born in Bovel in Babylon, Hillel, something similar to Moshe Rabbeinu, was he lived for 120 years, just like Moshe Rabbeinu did, but he was renowned, of course, for several things. One of them was that he had incredible patience. Number two, that he loved all people, and in fact, he often spoke about Avas Yisrael, about the love of your fellow men. But here we quote in this Mishnah, Hillel or Shammai Kiblum Mayhem, that Hillel and Shammai received it from the previous generation, says Hillel Oimer. Hillel says, Heveimi Talmidav Shal Aaron. He says, be of the students of Aaron, Aaron Akayim, Aaron, brother of Moshe. Of the students of Aaron, of Aaron. And what did he do? And what does he want you to do as a student of Aaron? Okay. Number one is, I have Shalom. 
love, peace. Number two, Reidev Shalom, pursue peace. And number three, Ayeves Abrius, love all creatures, love your fellow men, Umakarvan the Torah, and bring them close to the Torah. Hillel gives us here some very, very sound advice. And these, of course, are the uh, hallmarks of a Jew. He says we should be peaceful people, people of peace. We should love peace. Hillel tells us, Aaron Akain loved peace. But he didn't only love peace, he pursued peace. Pursuing peace means, and we say this about Aaron Akain, that he reached out and went even into, let's call it the gray area, of uh, sometimes even having to tell a little white lie in order to bring about peace. So important was peace in his mind that he was able to put himself out of the picture. He was able to put, um, in a way, throw some caution to the wind, but make sure that the ultimate of peace was pursued and was reached between man and man, between man and his spouse, between man and his fellow men, on all levels and on every level. So he was Oyev Shalom and he was Rodev Shalom. He chased after that peace. Oyevus Habrias and Makarban Latoira. He loved all creatures. Why does it term people here as creatures? Because Torah tells us that uh, there are some people who the only mark that they have of being um, a human being or being a Jew or being an individual is that they were created by God. They don't have that many merits. And um, Hillel tells us here, remember, that just the fact that an individual was made by God is enough of a reason for you to love that individual, to love him, and bring them close to Torah. Don't do it the other way around. Don't bring Torah close to them. In other words, to change, water down, uh, dilute Torah in any way, but bring them close to the Torah. And in this way, you'll really be able to show them not only peace, but you'll be able to show them love as well. And this is an incredible, incredible lesson for us in these days of Elul to focus on our love for our fellow man and our concern for bringing them all closer to Torah in the name of peace and love. Back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, great to be back with you. And to to sum up, we've been dealing with and thinking about the month of Elul and thinking about how it applies um, throughout history, going all the way back to Noah, thinking about Moshe Rabbeinu. And here... Coming to a point of discussion with Hillel and Shammai and the vort, the idea of Hillel to be mitalmidav shel Aaron, as he says in Pirkei Avos in chapter one, it is um, number twelve, Mishnah number twelve, that tells us that we should be mitalmidav shel Aaron. We should be like the, the students of Aaron. We should learn from Aaron. We should love peace. We should pursue peace. We should love all creatures, all people and bring them close to Torah. Make sure that Torah is uh, the very theme that runs through the lives of everybody and with that we are bringing about peace in the world because Torah is a Torah of peace and remember that the idea of love is the um, uh, quintessential idea of all of Torah, to love your fellow man, to love God, to love everything that Hashem created and to realize that if we cannot love it so very, very often, the uh, failing is within ourselves rather than within that or those that we find difficult to love. So let's try, if we can, during this month of Elul, 
as we ourselves are sending out some kind of reconnaissance to see whether the world is ready, whether we are ready for the world, whether we're ready to have Mashiach, to bring Mashiach, that we're ready for a new um, chapter, a complete chapter. In other words, the idea, the culmination of everything that we're doing in this world. Have we done enough to love our fellow man? Have we done enough to make peace in the world? Have we done, done enough to do our tshuva, to do our repentance, our return? Are we ready not only for Rosh Hashanah, but are we ready for the coming of Mashiach? And if the answer to all of those questions is that we still have some work to do, well, let's get to it. Let's make sure that we work a little harder on ourselves in order to love others, on ourselves in order to bring about peace in this world, on our Torah in order to be able to teach it a little bit better and a little bit more. And in that way, we know that we'll be able to turn this all around. We'll be able to ensure that the floods subside. We'll be able to ensure that we can get out of the Teva. We can get out of the Ark and we can go headlong into the world that is completely transformed and completely miraculously made into a place of peace and of love with the ultimate blessing for each and every one of us, the coming of Mashiach. May he come speedily in our time. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and I look forward to being back with you same time, same place. Please go next week on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9.